Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME-CE credit. Andy J. is an active 62-year-old male with some mild osteoarthritis. He comes in for his health maintenance visit, has no complaints, and is all caught up on his screening tests and immunizations. He exercises a few days a week and eats carefully. His ASCVD score is 11.5%, making him eligible for both statins and an aspirin for the primary prevention of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. He's declined both of these in the past, but was watching the news last week and heard about the poly pill, and he wonders if he should be taking it. What do you tell him? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today to talk about the poly pill is Dr. Alan Ehrlich. Dr. Ehrlich is an associate professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and executive editor at Dynamid. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Frank. You know, I hear about the poly pill every couple of years. What is it and what's the concept around what they're trying to do with this idea? Uh, Alan, I know it, it pops up every few years. So, so the concept around the poly pill is if you could get the whole population to take one combination pill that would reduce cardiovascular risk, you would have a fairly big impact on that population's outcomes for cardiovascular disease. So what is the poly pill. The poly pill is conceived of 40 milligrams of simvastatin, 100 milligrams of atenolol, 25 milligrams of hydrochlorothiazide, and 10 milligrams of ramipril. So you're taking a statin, a thiazide diuretic, a beta blocker, and an ACE inhibitor every day. And that's the, the concept is if everybody takes all those things somehow this is going to have a positive impact on their outcomes. What could possibly go wrong with a bunch of people taking lots of medicines just to try and prevent disease? I know there's a study recently that looked at this. What did it, what did it find? Well, you know, the polypill sort of runs counterintuitive to everything we teach young learners, that you want to do the least number of medicines and provide the less harm, especially when you're doing something as a preventative measure. So this was a study of, of 5,000 plus people um, over four years, and they combined, they looked at, at four different groups, the polypill group, the polypill group with aspirin, and, and a placebo group against both of those. And, and they said, let's, let's see what, what happens. The primary outcome for the polypill was death from cardiovascular causes, myocardial infarction, stroke, resuscitated from a cardiac arrest, heart failure, or revascularization. Now for the aspirin group, just the aspirin group, the, the primary outcome was death from cardiovascular causes, MI, or stroke. And they also assessed safety. So here's what happened. In the polypill group, the rate of the primary outcome was about 4.4%, but in, in the placebo group, it was about 5.5%. But that number, those numbers were not statistically significantly different. 
In the aspirin group, the rate of the primary outcome was about 4.1%. And the rate for the placebo group was about 4.7%. Um, but that number was not statistically significant. The polypill plus aspirin versus placebo group, the rate of outcome, the primary outcome was about 4.1% in the combination polypill plus aspirin and about 5.8% in the placebo group. And that number was statistically significant. So the only thing that was statistically beneficial was the combination of the polypill plus aspirin. So you thrown out a lot of numbers there, Frank. First of all, let me just ask you, um, did they adjust their statistics based on you know, multiple outcomes they were looking at? Or is everything just 95%, uh, you know, P, P less than 5%? Well, they, they, did, they did drill down on a few areas, um, but, but the, the data remained fairly um, non-statistically significant. Other things that compounded this thing was that the population was uh, mostly from Southeast Asia. And so um, their, uh, their other cardiovascular risk factors are very different. Their genetic makeup is very different and their dietary and activity levels are very different than what we could possibly consider um, in, in the US or even Western Europe. All right, so it sounds like there may be some issues with generalizability. Um, it, it also sounded like you were saying that the polypill and aspirin appeared to be about equally effective. Is, is that right? That, that is correct. The outcomes for the primary outcome was both 4.1%. So um, what that kind of tells me is that if there was any, the, the benefit was extremely close, if the same. And because it wasn't statistically significant for the polypill alone, I guess I have a really hard time thinking this combination has, is going to have any, any long-term positive impact on a population, especially when you start adding in the harms of taking now five medications to have something statistically significantly beneficial. So it sounds like you know, your choice is instant polypharmacy okay, as a diagnosis by taking five or more medications. Or, um, you know, and, and again, the benefit, even with the polypill plus aspirin on an absolute basis was still only, it sounded like about one to one and a half percentage points. So you're, you're talking about a pretty high number needed to treat. Yes. Oh, yes. And, and it was, again, for a combined outcome that included um, uh, need for revascularization. And um, that's a very, I don't want to say subjective, but it has, it lends itself to subjectivity, especially here in the U.S., where um, if you present of a certain age and you're having chest pain, there's a good chance you're going to get a catheterization and possibly some revascularization procedure, but that may or may not be the cause of your chest pain. So, your point's well taken, and none of this study seems to apply to clinical practice in, 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 the, United, in the U.S., in the Western, and in Western Europe, in, in my mind. So at this point, you know, it doesn't seem to be any reason to go with a polypill over aspirin since they seem to be equally effective. 
And the combination has yet to be demonstrated efficacious in, say, a Western population. So let's go back to aspirin. Uh, who do you recommend aspirin for? Well, this is a great question because um, the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology says, gee, when your ASCVD score is 10% or greater, um, the recommendation is to start low-dose aspirin for the primary prevention of cardiovascular outcomes. So uh, a systematic review was published in late November of 2019, looking at 160 plus thousand folks on the efficacy and safety of using aspirin for primary prevention. How effective was it? It's a huge population, a great study. The risk for all-cause and cardiovascular mortality in the intervention groups taking aspirin versus the placebo groups were the same. There was no statistical benefit on outcomes in the aspirin group compared to placebo, with the exception of adverse events. The aspirin group um, did decrease a few specific uh, components, including myocardial infarction and stroke, but was associated with a very high rate of major gastrointestinal bleeding. And the small benefits the population saw from the aspirin were um, negated by the very high rate of adverse effects from GI bleeds. And the authors concluded that aspirin, if it reduces all-cause mortality or cardiovascular mortality, the risk is very, the, the benefit is extremely small. And for those specific points like uh, major adverse cardiac events or MI, there is probably a small benefit, but that benefit is, is far smaller than the risk of a major adverse GI bleed. And that aspirin probably is not a great tool for the primary prevention for improving your patient's health. Wow. Well, again, we've had this story with aspirin unfolding over the last couple of years, and this just adds more weight to the fact that, you know, there are clear indications for aspirin in secondary prevention, but it sounds like primary prevention, um, whether it's with aspirin or the polypill, um, it, it's a very questionable benefit. Uh, anything else to add, Frank? I mean, I think, Alan, you and I talk about this all the time. We, uh, we and our patients look to have a pill solve this problem. Primary prevention, we're talking about people without known heart disease. What can they do to lower their risk for cardiac events that's safe? Well, it's really simple. They need a little bit, not a great deal, but a little bit of exercise each week. Um, minimally 8,000 steps. Um, I also encourage people just 20 minutes of resistance exercise three times a week has an enormous benefit on lowering cardiovascular outcomes. So um, if I wanna help a patient do primary prevention for cardiac outcomes, I talk to them about exercise and it, it's really an hour a week. It's nothing more. So if you can get them to do that, add 8,000 steps a day, you will have a much better impact than looking at a poly pill or an aspirin. Thanks, Frank, for uh, educating us on this this morning. Alan, thanks for joining me and, and I appreciate your help. Practice pointer. The best way to lower atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease risk is exercise, like resistance training 20 minutes three times a week or walking 8,000 steps a day. 
Reserve aspirin for patients who are at very high risk. Recommend they look for signs of GI bleeds. Join us next time when we talk about the new guidelines on the management of asthma in the outpatient setting for adults and adolescents. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.